you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning and welcome everyone who's here with us in person. Good to see you all this morning. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. Uh, whether it's your very first time with us, whether you've been with us for years, uh, I truly believe that God has each and every one of us here for a reason this morning. Uh, whether it's that first step of faith, whether it's drawing closer, uh, or whether it's just because God has something that he wants each of us to either be encouraged or challenged with. And I believe that each person who hears my voice, whether you're here or joining us online, is someone that God loves and created and formed uh, and shaped, someone that Jesus died for, and someone that the Holy Spirit wants to bring us one step closer to Christ-likeness and a closer relationship with Jesus, um, with God. And so with that said, if we've not met yet, my name is JP. I'd love an opportunity to meet you after the service. And as we saw and as we heard from Michelle doing the video, doing a great job, uh, we are in the third week of a series called Beyond the 52. And the idea is, what does it look like to have, be a part of church outside of Sunday mornings? To not look at church as something that we just do, uh, you know, a Sunday morning for 52 weeks of the year, and I show up, I sit down, I stand up, I listen, and, and that's it. Because if that's the total, uh, totality of our relationship with Jesus growing is, you know, the 70 minutes that we have together 52 times a year, then we're going to be lacking. We're not going to be growing or having the vibrant walk with Jesus that, that we're meant to have. And so I remember um, our sermon today is this idea of what it's like to be, to be changed by God, but not just for our own sake, but to be changed by God to help make a change in this world. I remember when I first became a Christian, um, I've shared some of this before, but I became a Christian September 20th, 2003. Uh, I was a soft, just about to start my sophomore year at UC San Diego. But as, as is what happens when it comes to uh, picking your roommates, I picked my roommates freshman year at the end of it when I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And then I, I came and God changed my life and I started getting involved in Bible studies and, and ministry and serving and learning and growing. And I remember that that ended up causing some tension between me and my roommates at the time. Because they were still the same, and, and this, was, this is going to date me, because some of you will have no idea what I'm talking about. Some of you, this is right within this very specific internet wheelhouse where we had uh, AOL Instant Messenger. Does anybody remember? Thank you for the seven of you. Um, and so we would have Instant Messenger, and it's like we would have these you know, chats, and you know, my roommate was... The next door down from me, but he would like send chats and he, you know, he had one this day where he would just be like, you know, I, um, like, I don't know what happened to you. Like you changed, like you're different. And I'm like, was it my hair? No, I'm just, it was just, it was just acknowledging. I was like, yeah, like God had done and changed my life. And, and he's like, well, I, you know, why can't, where, where's the old JP? The one that we, you know, we got to be friends with and, and do that. I'm like, well, you know, he's not, he's gone, but that's not who I am anymore. That God has taken a hold of my heart. And when Jesus comes into our lives and the Holy Spirit starts shaping and molding and chipping away at things that are not Christ-like and, and growing and planting seeds and fostering things that make us more Christ-like, that there's going to be, or at least there ought to be, a change in how we lived before Christ to how we live since Christ. 
There ought to be a change in the way that we think, the way that we perceive things, the way that we view others, the way that we live and serve and love. Because if there's not, if we look at our lives and we think, I am the same today than I was or as I was when I first became a Christian, or I'm the same today as before I became a Christian, then chances are we have not taken our faith beyond the 52 Sundays. And that's assuming that, again, that's assuming that everyone comes to all 52 Sundays, right? And so for us, for our purposes this morning is, is we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 through 21, uh, if you want to turn there. But as we go through this passage, there's going to be a moment we're going to kind of evaluate how we've been changed by God. But then we're going to need to evaluate and look at the reason for that. It's not just for us to feel better about ourselves, not just so that we can escape hell. It's so that we can help bring the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven here on earth for every day that we're here. And so if you, I would ask you to join me in a word of prayer that we think about what God has for us and we prepare our hearts rather for what God has for us through his word. So will you join me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today, whether live in person, live online, watching or listening later throughout the week. I thank you, Lord, that each person who hears my voice is someone that you've created and you've shaped, someone that, Jesus, you died for, and that through your life, death, and resurrection, we are invited to have eternal life with God through a relationship with you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that each person who hears my voice is someone you want to draw one step closer, whether that's that very first step of faith or whether it's deeper intimacy in Christ-likeness. I pray that all of us, would be able to receive what you have for us this morning. I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease and that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. That's, that's where we're going to land on our text this morning. Uh, we will have some of the verses here on the screen, but I invite you to follow along, whether it's with the Bibles that you brought, a Bible app that you may have brought um, with your phone, or if there's Bibles that are available in the seat racks in front of you, um, as we look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 through 21. And kind of our main point, if I were to, to summarize it, is this, that if you're someone who's looking for a perfect church, we talked about this last week, that we are not a perfect church. We're not perfect people, but we're people who are being changed by God to change the world. Notice the process. It's being changed by God. It's not a one time we're, we're done. It's a process of becoming more like Christ, of, of letting go of the old way of life and taking upon ourselves the new way of life and what it looks like to follow Jesus and all that we say, think, and do. And so, we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. And yet there's something beautiful about imperfect people striving after a perfect God and wanting to become more like him. And there's something beautiful about people who are being changed by God in order to make a change in the world, in order to have an impact beyond these walls, but to have an impact on the people in your life that don't know Jesus, the people within our community and across the world who don't know Jesus, and that we can be a part of that change. So there's a couple different ways as we look at 2 Corinthians 5 that Paul explains to us, the author of 2 Corinthians, he explains to us some of the different things that get changed when we have a, a new relationship with God the Father through Jesus. The first one is this idea of changed priorities. What mattered to us before shouldn't matter as much now. Now there are still things like, if you're thinking, oh, I, you know, 
it matters that I provide for my family. Yes, of course, that's not what we're talking about here. That still matters, but it's recognizing that what mattered to us before shouldn't matter as much now. I've shared this before that my, one of my struggles uh, is wanting to be a people pleaser, wanting to get the affirmation and the approval of other people. And so this is why Galatians 1.10, it's not on the screen, but Galatians 1.10 is such a convicting verse for me because it says, Paul writes in there, am I still trying to get the approval of men or am I trying to please God? Because if I'm trying to get the approval of men, then I am not a disciple of Christ. And you ever have those verses that just make you feel a little squirmy? Because <laughs> they're a little too on the nose and they're a little too, like they're right there and the Holy Spirit is like, that's a struggle you have. So for me, in my life, if it's something where I'm like, okay, it mattered to get the approval of every person. If there's one person upset with me, that could, that could really frustrate and discourage and dishearten. But, but that shouldn't matter as much as the approval of God. It shouldn't matter as much as it once did. Yes, you want to be winsome. You want to live such good lives among people far from God that they would see your good deeds and they would be able to not find any fault in you. You'd want to be able to shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. You want to be able to be people that shine, um, that, that they see your good deeds and then give your Father, Heavenly Father, glory, not you credit. But it's also recognizing the fact that what mattered to us before shouldn't matter as much now. So here's what 2 Corinthians verse 5 Starts with, or sorry, chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 say this. It says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. It's recognizing that the priorities that we once had before Christ, ought to have been changed by God and are being changed by God the longer we have a relationship with him. That what matters then should not be our ultimate goal. If your goal is people and approval, then that shouldn't matter as much when you recognize that the conditional approval of people is nothing compared to the unconditional love of God. If you're someone that provides or um, prizes possessions, and you're like, I want to have the most stuff, I want to have the newest and the latest and the greatest, then after we come to a relationship with Jesus, we recognize that we can't store up bigger barns, that we cannot take it with us. And so the most important things in life are not things at all. If you're someone that says, oh, I want to achieve, I want to produce, I want to be the, the best of the best, not because of approval and not even because of money or, or possessions, but because I just want to show that I've produced and I'm productive. Our culture lives in this one a lot, right? The more accolades, the more attaboys, girls you get, you're like, okay, I've done really well. But then we recognize that there's nothing we can do that opens a door for us to have a relationship with Jesus. It's about what Jesus has already done for us. So it's evaluating, do the things that matter to you before Christ matter just as much now? Or, or has that grown beyond us to say, okay, no, what mattered to me before doesn't matter as much as it does today. Oswald Chambers in his uh, My Utmost for His Highest for the November 12th date talks about this based on this verse. He says, the work of salvation means that in your real life, things are dramatically changed. You no longer look at things in the same way. Your desires are new and the old things have lost their power to attract you. One of the tests for determining if the work of salvation in your life is genuine is, 
Has God changed the things that really matter to you? And that's a question that, that you have to answer for yourself, that the Holy Spirit can guide us in this. But it's saying, have, do the th- has, has God changed my heart that those things that I long for are the exact same but less? Or are they completely different? Have I found a hope and a purpose beyond what I used to find a hope and a purpose in? Has God changed the things that really matter to you? So now, within the past you know, season of my life, when there's someone who's still upset at me, I still struggle, right? It's not like I have this all together. When there's someone who's mad at me about something or questioning something or family drama or dynamics, I still can feel like, oh my gosh, like, I feel like the legs can be caught from underneath me because I still have that tendency and propensity to want everyone to like me. And that's not healthy. That's not good. That's not something I'm saying, oh, be like me. No, I'm saying we are not perfect people. I am not a perfect person, but we are people being changed by God to change the world, to recognize that sometimes the things that God has... um, He's changed the things that matter, and then sometimes I feel like it comes back, and it's a struggle, it's a tension, it's something that we all have our thorn in the flesh, we all have our struggles, we all have our temptations that call us or bring us back to the old life. And so that's why we need to remember, not only do we have changed priorities, that what mattered to us before doesn't matter as much now, but we also need to have a changed perception. Let's go to the next slide, please. What matters to God must matter to us. Instead of looking at what, what we think is most important, it's, it's aligning our perception and our perspective with what God says in his word and how God views this world. So what matters to God must matter to us. Let's continue on. Let's go to verses 16 and 17. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Let's stay there for a second. What does this mean? This means that we no longer regard someone or one from a worldly point of view. It means the thing that we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks, that the different things in our world that would tend to cause and create divisions are things that we no longer regard as most important. Whether it's where we're from, uh, how much money we have, what we look like, what language we speak, who we vote for, what we think is most important. We recognize that we don't look at people just and say, oh, you're that kind of person because of how you look or how much you make or who you vote for or whatever. It's recognized we no longer regard people from a worldly point of view. We see people who are far from God and we don't say, well, you're far from God, but you don't you know, I'm not going to spend time with you. We say all people are people who are made in God's image. And that God has put people in our lives that are very different from us. So that when we show them that love and when there's a relationship that is built there, founded on the relationship with Jesus, that the world around could say there's something different because the only thing that seems to be uniting you is Jesus. But you have so much else that is different. And like we've said, that what divides us or potentially divides us is not as strong as who unites us. That in Ephesians 4, it talks about how there's one faith and one Lord and one baptism and one, and it's saying that there are, yes, there are differences in the body of Christ, and that's beautiful. 
but even despite the differences that there's something and someone who unifies us. So let's not regard fellow believers or regard those who are far from God from a worldly point of view and just say, oh, well, you're different than me. I can't get to know you or I I can't build a relationship with you or I can't share the gospel with you. You're too different than me. We do not regard people from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. They looked at Jesus and they would say, well, there was, as if uh, Isaiah 53 prophesied about Jesus, there was nothing that would make us pay attention to him. He was not comely in appearance or, or good looking that we would say, oh, this is someone we should pay attention to. But instead, looking at a worldly point of view, Jesus was someone from a backwater town in the middle of uh, the ancient Near East who did not become king. He died and his followers ended up, you know, they did not become ruling, the overthrowing the Roman authorities. From a worldly point of view, Jesus lost. And yet, we do not regard what Christ did from a worldly point of view. We recognize that he didn't lose, he laid down his life. He, he sacrificed himself so that we can have a right relationship with God and that his kingdom was not one that would overthrow the Roman Empire. His kingdom is one that would never fade. His kingdom is one that we are still living in and embodying and serving and a part of today, long past the Roman Empire's expiration date. And so we do not regard others or Christ from a worldly point of view. Instead, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, The old has gone, the new is here. The old perceptions, the old perspective, and the old purpose is gone. There's a new perception and a new perspective and a new purpose that we have. We have John Barclay says this in his, in his commentary. He says, here, this section, verses 16 through 17, lies the heart of Paul's understanding of the cross, which is for him not only an atoning event dealing with sins. Is it that? Absolutely. But that's not the end of it, and it's not the end-all, be-all. It's not just we no longer have to deal with our sin because Jesus dealt for us that for us. That's vital and core, and we need to know that. But it's also a death in which believers participate and find their existence redefined. That dying transforms their living into a living for Christ. And quote, or, and highlight this, affects a fundamental shift in their perception of the world. That we can have a right understanding of the theology of the cross. The idea that God loves us and there was was beauty and things were created good, but that we blew it. There's sin that entered into the world with Adam and Eve. and, And that sin has permeated the very nature of our flesh ever since. That there are none that are righteous, no, not one. That we all fall short of the glory of God. And yet, if that was the end of the story, this would be a depressing story. Yet Jesus paid for it. He laid down his life that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. That he demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, we couldn't do anything to save ourselves. Christ died for us. And then the last step is that we must receive him. We can know all the theology, but until we receive him, then we're missing the point. We can know the right thing, but sometimes we've shared before the greatest distance any of us will ever have to travel in our lives is the 12 inches from our head to our hearts. From what we know to when we truly know it and embody it. And then it shows itself in our hands and how we live 
how we love, and how we serve. It needs to affect our relationship with Jesus shows us that the old has gone, the old way, the new has come, and there's a fundamental shift in our perception. We look at people we no longer ostracize because they're different. We no longer think less of them because they're different. We recognize that no matter how many different people there are, we are all invited to have a relationship with the same, the one Savior. And we have that calling to be a part of that process. John Barclay continues on in his devotional. The cross, or his commentary, the cross has enabled a new creation by putting an end to the old. Yet Paul perceives his converts still molded by the, quote, old world habits of perception, impressed by power, eloquence, and visual display. Excuse me, he's saying that the Corinthians, the church at Corinth, as he's writing his second letter, it's actually his third letter, but the second one we have the, um, the uh, context of, or we have the, the manuscript of, He's like, they're still following after what the world says, that Christ has not had that fundamental perception of sh- uh, shift in their lives. So as a spokesman for this new world, as he's a new creation, an ambassador to Christ and his kingdom, he, Paul, cannot cease until their system of values is utterly transformed. He says, you can live in the same system and try to add Christ on top of that, but God is not, Jesus is not something we add on top of everything else we do. He's not something we add to our own agenda, but it's Timothy Keller says he's a whole new agenda. It's not like we just add him to our to-do list, our task list, our calendar. We can be intentional about time with him and adding things that point us to him, but it's not a checklist in the same way that going grocery shopping is and doing taxes and whatever it is. It's perceiving how we spend our money, perceiving how we spend our time in a whole new way. As Andy Stanley says, we're using this verbiage matters a lot in this sermon. Everybody matters to God, whether God matters to them or not. We don't break down divisions and say, well, that person doesn't care about God, so we do not care about them. We say that person may not care about God, but God has maybe placed us in a sphere or in a relationship or in an area of influence where we can live such good lives among the pagans that though they may try to discredit us, they know they can't. That we would live such good lives that people would see our good deeds and not give us credit, but give God glory. And they'd say, well, I'd love to be able to hate on the Christians, but man, they've, they cared for me when I was hurting. They brought me meals when I was struggling. They, they listened to me when my family, what, I mean, it's got to change the way we live. We've got to be changed by God to make a change in the world. Not just so that we can feel comfortable, not that we can just be a, a holy huddle or, or us four no more and just kind of keep our mind inward focused but to continue an outward focus, continue to look out and say, who might be different than us or who might God have placed in our lives to share the gospel with? We have changed perception, changed priorities. And the last one and kind of the biggest one we're going to land on this morning is the idea of a changed purpose. I put this in quotes, but there's no author because I... I don't even remember where I heard this, but it wasn't from me. And I typed, you know, who said this? And it's like on a ton of churches' websites. So I don't know who the original author is. But to give credit to someone who's not me, lost people matter to God. Therefore, they matter to us. Lost people matter to God. Therefore, they matter to us. 
Not lost people matter to God, but they're a little inconvenient to us. Not lost people matter to God, but they don't really matter to me because I'm busy on my own. It's lost people matter to God. Therefore, because of that reason, because people matter to God, they must matter to us. We mentioned having that uh, relational evangelism class a couple weeks ago and just people who, who came and were just listening to how could I share, how could I in relationship share the gospel in a way that won't burn bridges but will build bridges? How can I share the gospel in a way that would be allowing for someone to, to build that relationship? We've talked before about the five different thresholds that people have to walk in order to follow Jesus. Is first, they need to just trust a Christian. Just be trustworthy. Second, they have to be curious. Hey, what, what are you doing? Or why do you study the Bible? Or what do you, why do you go to church on a Sunday morning? Or what, why is it that you spend time reading your Bible during lunch break at school or during your lunch break at work? Like, what's that about? Third is you got to be open to change. Like open to actually having, they have to be open to God actually doing a thing in their lives. Then you have to intentionally seek. Like they're act actively looking for God in the midst of things, looking for Jesus. And then lastly, they enter the kingdom. And all that is from I Once Was Lost, this book by Don Everts. That's really good about unpacking the journey. So you have to trust a Christian, become curious, be open to change, intentionally seek, and then enter the kingdom. All of that starts with us being trustworthy people. To trust so that we would be people known for our word, and then we'd be people who would love people different than us. Because lost people matter to God. Therefore, they matter to us. So the main point we're saying is that we are not perfect people, but we are changed by God to change the world. The first couple points we looked at the idea of being changed by God, changed perceptions, changed priorities, and our changed purpose points to. This idea that it's not just for ourselves. There's a reason beyond us, beyond the 52, beyond our own quiet times, beyond the way that we just are in our lives, beyond ourselves, that God has placed us here for such a time as this. That you all have people that you influence that may never step through these doors or will never turn on the, 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 the sermon or the, the video online. God has called us not to just be invitational. Yes, invite people to church. Yeah, absolutely. He's called us, though, not to just be invitational, but to also be incarnational. To go where people are in a dark place and shine like stars. Not to just say, hey, come to my light place. But to go in the midst of that in the same way that Jesus left the riches of heaven into the rags of a manger into this dark world to bring us with him. So what does it look like? What's our role to recognize that we're not perfect people, but we're being changed by God to change the world. 2 Corinthians 5.18 tells us this. It says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave us the responsibility and the honor and privilege to help reconcile people who are far from God with, towards God. To not just be a peacekeeper that says, everyone just, just don't argue, don't fight, just everyone be okay. But to be a peacemaker who makes a way where there is no way. We see this here. Barbara Bow says this. She talks about defining what to reconcile is. To reconcile or to bring about reconciliation is to restore harmony or friendship between two entities formerly divided. In the biblical tradition, reconciliation denotes the fundamental fact of a restored relationship 
either between human persons, among various elements in the cosmos, or between humans and God. So to reconcile is to say, you're here, and you're here, and my role is to see how can we come together? How can there be a bridge where there once was a wall? How can we be able to help be someone and to be people that bring those who are far from God near to God? Because of whatever hurts or struggles or, or issues people have had with Jesus, what does it look like for us to be people that point them to him and live in such a way? People say, hey, you live beyond, the, you live beyond just going to church on, on a Sunday morning. This really has changed your priority. This has really changed your perception. And you say, yeah, and it's also changed my purpose. Now, I'm going to read a couple things here just to kind of go this. Here's a, a, an image here is from the, um, this idea of reconciliation. There was, uh, many of you may remember or be aware of, um, in April of 1994, uh, Rwanda had um, a genocide that took place. Let me read from, from here to make sure I you know, just want to get the details. Rwanda's genocide was ignited on April 6, 1994, when a plane carrying President Juvenal Habyarimana was shot down and crashed in the capital, Kigali, killing the Rwandan leader who was a Hutu. There's the Hutus and the Tutsis primarily as the main um, different people groups in Rwanda. So Rwanda's Tutsi minority was blamed for the crash, igniting a killing spree of revenge attacks targeting Tutsis across the country of 12 million people. During a 100-day genocide, there were killed an estimated 800,000 ethnic Tutsis and the Hutus who tried to protect them. And so in this genocide, like this is a picture taken from 1994, and neighbors who had known each other for years, once that plane was crashed, the government was talking about how the Tutsis are to blame. So Hutus, you are called to rise up. And so what they would do is that neighbor would carry machete and would attack neighbor they've known for years. Friendships were dissolved in an instant. And enemies, or friends became enemies, and neighbors became murderers. Recognizing that over the span of time, even, even it talks about how even children that were Tutsis were accused of being part of the plot to attack the, to blow up the plane from the Hutu president. That there was no sense. In fact, one of the quotations here says, it was useless to tell militia men that children didn't have any idea about the president's death, who was from a 17-year-old survivor. But as you know, during the genocide, all sense had gone. And so over this 100-day period, 800,000, some of the higher estimates are up to a million, Tutsis were slaughtered, as well as the Hutus who protected them. That this woman that we're going to hear about, she hid and went to a church because the church was protecting Tutsis, but then the Hutus came after those people at the church as well and killed them for, for protecting the Tutsis people. And so she was able to hide and, and, and to avoid being slaughtered, but her dad passed away, and out of her several siblings, only her and I think two others survived out of eight, I believe. And so what does this mean? I mean, this, this shows us that there's this deep, incredibly painful, um, uh, a strong divide, division, that uh, how do you even, how do you as a, as a country move on from that? How do you as a neighbor who saw 
the fact that friends became enemies and neighbors became murderers. How do you get through that? Well, several years later, there was, uh, they, the government was like saying, we need to heal as a nation. And in partnership with uh, Prison Fellowship and other uh, organizations, that there were these six reconciliation villages that were set up throughout the country of Rwanda. There's a picture here that I want to show of two people. Uh, the woman on the left, her name is Laurencia Mukalamera, and the man on the right is Tassian Nkundaye, and Tassian is the one that killed her husband. He was the one that, that killed her husband, and she didn't know it at the time, but here's, here's what they say about it. Um, she says, I didn't know that he, that Nikundiaye was, was the one who killed my husband. He came and he told me he did it and showed me where my husband's body was buried. See, what they created in these reconciliation villages were these spaces where those who had been um, convicted, excuse me, of murdering Tutsis who were in jail as Hutus would be able to be released if they went in front of the community and in front of other people and especially to the family members of the ones they murdered and confessed and asked for forgiveness. And if they did that and they were received into the community, they would be able to live in these reconciliation villages. The people who had had that, um, those tragedies and those loved ones who were slain, they then would be able to live in these villages as well and they'd be able to get help with, with food and support. And so the government put together these six different villages at the time in order to bring people who are separated by great tragedy and heartache and violence and to see what it would look like to have reconciliation. Now, full disclosure, there are people who, who in this article said, people from Rwanda, like, this is, I mean, this feels very artificial. It feels like people are just saying, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, because they want to get out of jail. And it seems like people are saying, oh, I forgive you, because they, they, they want some food and medical supplies and help. And so it feels like this forced reconciliation that, that isn't actually, you know, investing in anything. But here's how the article ends. Referring to those two there in the, in the town of Mbayo, it says, it is hard to argue that the community is artificial. As Mukulamara said, when he confessed, when Tassian confessed and apologized, I forgave him. She hugged Nundaye in greeting as they met to discuss the upcoming planning season. She said, I found I could not live with anger forever. And Tassian says, I'm very grateful to her. Ever since I apologized to her after prison life, confessing to my crimes and asking for forgiveness, she's accepted me. And I even leave my children with her when I'm away. So picturing that the government, the Rwandan government, working with other organizations, they were in the ministry, or, or ministry is just another word for service, the service of reconciling. And we, too, are called to the ministry, the serving of reconciliation with people who are far from God, who have done, uh, who, whatever they've done, they're far from God to be reconciled into a right relationship with God. And this isn't a coerced reconciliation where, where one party's like, well, I need the food, and so I need to be able to do this. This is God who sent his son from the riches of heaven to the rags of a manger, who, who in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
And so it's this idea of recognizing that we are called, we have the honor to be people who say, no matter how far from God you've once been, there is a God who wants to reconcile, who wants you to come back to him either for the first time or after fleeing or going away. And we have the honor of being people who say, can we help build the bridges where once there were walls? The ministry of reconciliation. Paul continues on when he says this. That God was, verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. I mean, we're all sinners, and so if we don't have a relationship with Jesus, we still have those sins. But if we confess our sins, God is righteous and just to forgive us of those sins and cleanse us from all that unrighteousness. So he's not counting us against. He's saying, you can have a relationship with me. He says, I'm willing and I want to welcome you back. And he is committed to us us, not just the pastors, not just the missionaries, us, not just the perfect people, because there are no perfect people, but those of us who are being changed by God to change the world, those, we are the us that are committed to ministry and the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He's saying, have you ever had, have you ever had, I was trying to think of my own examples and I couldn't come up with one, but have you ever had a moment when you were given a message, whether from, from a boss or a superior or, or, I don't know, someone that was really high up that you're like, I do not want to mess up this message, a lot is at stake, and so I need to make sure I say it correctly, I present it well, and if not, then there could be some, some really big um, consequences. And maybe you could think of that, maybe you can't, but to recognize that we have been given the honor and that we are those, we are ambassadors, ones who come not from a, a, a country that currently exists, just like they didn't come from Rome or the Jewish country back then. They came representing a kingdom that surpasses the expiration date of the Roman Empire and will surpass any country that's here now. The kingdom that has no end. As Daniel 4, 3 says, an everlasting kingdom that shall have no end. This is who we get to be ambassadors representing. That we get to stand in the gap and say, God is making an appeal to you. Lost people matter to God. Therefore, they must matter to us. And because of that, we have this message that we have to be able to say well and represent our kingdom well so that people would be open to hearing it. What is the message? Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. For some of us, we are sitting here and we're like, okay, I know that is my message. I need to be able to share with those whom I love most so that they may love Christ. For some of us, if we're honest, be reconciled to God is the message we need to apply to ourselves right now because we're struggling we're, we're far from him, we're hurting, we're broken, we're angry, we're questioning, and it's caused this, where there once was a bridge, there's now a wall. And yet, some of us need to be bridge builders today. Others of us, we recognize the walls we built in our own hearts, and so we're not bridge builders right now. Right now, we gotta be wall destroyers, one brick at a time, to then make a way where there was no way because there's a God who's not holding sins against us. If we confess them and we have a right relationship with him, then all of a sudden we can be reconciled to God. Not because the government's telling us that we'll get stuff and not because we get out of jail because if we just do this, 
but because lost people matter to God. Therefore, they matter to us. We see this quotation. I'm going to go to the next slide for a second. Douglas Mangum says this. One of the purposes, we talk about change purpose, right? To be an ambassador, to, to change the world, be being changed by God. One of the purposes of God is bringing people close to him. And this is accomplished through Christ. God, through Christ, forgives people's sin. The individual believer now has the ministry and responsibility to bring that message to others so that their sins can be forgiven and they can be reconciled to God. We don't have the message of reconciliation only so that we can be reconciled. We have the ministry of reconciliation so that we can be a part of building those bridges where there's once been walls. To be able to make a way where there was no way. To be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. To be people who say, it doesn't matter how different you may look or think or act than me. Because the truth is, is that we are all made in God's image. And therefore, we all have eternity in our hearts. And we all need a relationship with Jesus. That's the kingdom message that you and I have been given. Not just the pastors, not just the missionaries, not just the people that look like they're perfect and have it all together. All of us, every individual believer, has this ministry of reconciliation so that those we love most could know and love Christ. So that those that we want to have a relationship with Jesus will come to know him. Don Richardson was a missionary uh, in uh, Papua New Guinea. And so he wrote a book called Peace Child um, that I've read before, I've shared about before. I encourage you to listen to it or read it if you're interested in it. And he was, in, he was ministering to the Sawi people. And this was a people that their, their um, value system was so upside down that when they heard the gospel, when they heard the gospel story, their culture... Um, elevated and, and honored people who were uh, really good at treachery because it was almost like luring someone into a trap. And so they would look at someone that was really good at creating, oh, everything seems fine, and then s attacks as people who were to be honored. So when they heard the gospel story, they didn't honor and celebrate Jesus. They honored and celebrated Judas because they thought he was the ultimate one who played this right, in their perspective, right, in order to betray. And so Don Richardson's learning this, and he's, he's missionary. He moved to, he and his family they had a, like a seventh-month-old son at the time when they went to Papua New Guinea uh, to reach the Sawi people. And he talks about in Peace Child, the reason it's called Peace Child is because once he's there, and there's different warring um, peoples and, and tribes nearby, and he's like, this is a group of people and uh, sets of people that when they honor that which is betrayed, how do you reach a group of people that seems so different, that the very foundation of what they value and honor is so diametrically opposed to what we would honor, that they celebrate Judas over, the, over Jesus? What do you do? And they talked about how they were at a point where they were helping people, learning their language and, and bringing food and, and a part of the community for a while. But the wars that were going beyond the people around them was getting to be too much. And they told uh, the, the people that they were living with specifically, and the Sawi people, they said, if, the, if these keep coming up, if these wars keep coming up, we, we have to leave. We will not be able to stay here. And so then he tells the story of how in order for there to be peace between warring nations or, or warring, warring tribes, that there is a 
ceremony called the Peace Child Ceremony. In this ceremony, there's a picture of, of an, an, an enactment of it, is a tribe leader brought his own six-month-old son, and he brought it to the tribe leader of his enemies and said, I'm going to give you my son. And the idea was that when that other tribe leader, when they would take that son now, now they are family. Now you are caring for my most prized, not possession, but you know, someone, someone who has great value to me. And so that son, when he was given to the, the enemy tribe at six months, would be raised in the enemy's tribe. But because one tribe leader did that for the other and gave up his son to the other tribe, they were no longer enemies. There had been peace between them. And Don Richardson talks about how there are these things called redemptive analogies where inside various cultures, no matter how diametrically opposed they may seem to Christ following, that there are things hidden within cultures called redemptive analogies that show the cultures it's an open door, it's, a, it's an opportunity to share the gospel. Don Richardson reach, uh, sees this ceremony and says, I know this what, what you just did with the peace child is what Jesus came to do for you, that it is a father who gave his son so that there would be peace between those who were far from him, who were at war with him, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that he gave up his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. This is who Jesus is. He's the peace child between God and an imperfect people because none of us are perfect, but we've all been changed by God in order to change the world, to now be people who build bridges where there once were walls and to break down walls where they once existed and to help bring people far from God near to God because lost people matter to God therefore they must matter to us so for us to be able to share the gospel is not just I'm checking off the box of what it means to be a Christian it's recognizing we are given the message of be reconciled to God we are given the message of bringing people far from him near to him we are given the message and people will look at how we live they will look at how we speak, how we think, our perceptions. Are they changed? Has Jesus made a change in your life? They will look at our priorities. Are we still the same people? Because if we're the same people, why would I go to a different God? So if we had changed our priorities and we changed our perceptions because of being changed by God, and then we recognize our purpose is not about us. It's about reaching people far from God so that their lives can be changed by God in order to make a change in the world. It's recognizing that 2 Corinthians 5.21, the close of this passage says this, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's saying that it's not about our own righteousness. It's about Jesus. It's not about what we can do to earn salvation. It's about what Jesus has already done. It's not about us being good enough or getting enough approval from people. It's recognized that we could find our approval in God. How deep the love the Father has lavished upon us that we might be called children of God and that is what we are. Not because we've earned it, but because we receive that free gift of salvation. We believe that Jesus paid for it and we must receive it. And so that peace child, it's, it's this picture. You and I can share. We can look for redemptive analogies in our culture 
We can look for ways in which all so many of our heroes in literature and movies are people who came from nothing and were given, uh, it was revealed to them they're a part of a bigger world and they come and they raise up and as they grow, they end up laying down their life for something greater than themselves. And in the sacrifice shows the power of the message they're sharing. And we say, hey, what, that movie we just watched when the character laid down his life for his friends? Do you know that greater love has no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friends? Do you know that's, that's Jesus? That's a redemptive analogy? I mean, there's so many of these. And so we must become men and women who are focusing on reaching those who are far from God and to give them the hope that God gave up his son who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God and so that there would be peace where there once was enmity, that there would be reconciliation, where there once was division, and that there would be a bridge where there once was a wall. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today, whether they're live in person, live online, watching or listening later throughout the week, Lord. And I pray that, uh, Lord, for some of us, we know that we need to be the recipients of the message to be reconciled to you because we we just feel that tension or we feel that distance or we acknowledge we are not where we would like to be with you for some of us we are we are givers and bringers and ambassadors of that message to those around us holy spirit may you reveal names and faces of people that you've placed in our sphere of influence to be able to reach and to be those who can be peacemakers and not peacekeepers to build bridges where there once were walls and for some of us, we're not even in this dynamic. We, we don't even have an interest in faith right now, Lord. I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would go beyond my words and that you would reach each and every one of us. That those far from you today would be able to, if nothing else, hear a gentle, sweet whisper of how much you love them and want that relationship with them. So, Father, we thank you for this time we have together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember, you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.